Let's take our Bibles and go to Mark chapter 4. <laughs> Mark chapter 4. And uh, remember, uh, for those of you who were here, remember last week we began to look at this parable of the sower. And Jesus, he, he gave this parable. And the disciples... After the crowd had left, after they had departed, the disciples, they, they were wondering, well, Jesus, what, what do you mean by this parable? What are you, what are you trying to say? And they, they wanted to know what the parable meant because they wanted to abide by it. They wanted to live by it. They cared about the truth of God. Uh, they did not just want to hear what Jesus said and then forget about it and not know what it meant. They wanted to know what exactly men. And this morning, uh, we're going to begin to just see the explanation of the parable. And we'll, we'll probably get through it today, but we'll see how it applies to us theologically, how it applies to us practically, and really for those that are children of God and also those that are not. So let's look at Mark chapter 4 and look at verse 13. It says, and he said unto them, know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they heard it, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately received it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to come to your house and to hear it preached. Lord, I pray that you will do as you promise and do not allow the preaching of the word to return void. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us all to take to heart what is said this morning, work in our hearts. And I pray that those that are here this morning that have never trusted in you only as their, as their Savior, that today will be the day that they do that, that they'll see that there's no need for their works or good deeds. There's only a need for Christ. I pray, Lord, that you also work on the hearts of, of believers this morning. God, you know exactly what we need. You know what every heart needs. I pray that you'll meet that need. Help us all to pay close attention to the, to the preaching of your word so that we can be impacted by it, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. I pray that you'll just use the preaching of your word in spite of me. I pray you'll help me to get out of the way and just to let you have full control. In your holy name, amen. If this uh, parable teaches us anything... It teaches us that we can be in the, the, the very room 
where the powerful word of God is being preached and not be impacted by it one bit. And that really is, is spoken to in this parable. Now this parable is often, and I refer to it as the, the parable of the sower, but really it should be called the parable of the soils. Because the, the soil is what takes the center stage. The soil is what's different. The, the, the sower, like I said last week, the sower and the seed uh, is always the same. It's the same farmer, the same seed was being casted forth, but the soil was what made the difference. And there are a lot of ideas, if you were to read commentaries or you were to hear preaching about this passage, you'd hear a lot of different ideas about what Jesus is getting at. What is he saying? What is he talking about? And I've even heard some of you here, uh, even last week, say, I can't wait for you to get to this part because I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, some people... Uh, say different things, and of course, when we when we compare scripture with scripture, though, when we when we look into the meaning of words, we find what Jesus was talking about here. But some say that he was talking about the word of God in the general sense, as it lands on the hearts of Christians. And uh, you know, the they say that the, the the seed is simply the word of God, and when when the when the word of God lands on the heart of a Christian, uh, it it has a different effect. Others say that the seed is the gospel. And the soil of the heart uh, are those that are unconverted as they hear it. But, uh, you know, we can talk all day about what other people say, but the most important thing to do is to see what Scripture says. And uh, that's what matters. And it's important to note something that was read last week, and this will just kind of help set the table and really set the stage for what we're going to see. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 9. Look what Jesus says here. This is going to help us understand uh, it's an important note that helps us understand what Jesus was getting at here. Verse 9, it says, And he said unto them, this was after he said the parable, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him of the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parable. And look what verse 12 says, That seeing they may see and not perceive. And hearing, they may hear and not understand, unless at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. What is, what is Jesus talking about here? He is talking about unconverted people. Lost people. Unconverted Jews. And what was he doing here? He was actually quoting Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 to see that. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, look at verse 9. Verse 9 in Isaiah 6, it says, And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, meaning callous, and make their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. So what is, what is Jesus doing here? He is, he is uh, speaking of an unrepentant people. What is Isaiah? What is the, this verse in Isaiah speaking of? He is talking about speaking and preaching to unrepentant Jews. So let's go back to our text in Mark chapter 4, and look at verse 14 again. We're just going to go through these verses and see this explanation 
as we look at the parable of the soils. Look at verse 14 of Mark chapter 4. The Bible says, The sower soweth the word. Now, remember the illustration. The sower was a farmer. The, the sower, this farmer, was sowing seeds. And uh, the, the way that they sowed seeds back then is a lot different than what we do now. The, the, the farmer would have a bag on his hip. And he would just reach in there. And he would grab a handful of seeds. And he would throw it. He would cast it out uh, to the soil. And uh, he would do it on the cultivated ground. But of course, uh, the, the seeds would go in many different places. Just like Jesus says, it would go on the wayside, it would go on the walking path, it would go on uh, thorny ground, it would go on stony ground, but it also would get on the, the good and cultivated ground. It would land on many different types of soils. And of course, the, the, the seed that landed on good grounds, the cultivated ground, it would bear fruits. And then others would go on the walking path, the stony ground and the thorny ground, and it would therefore bear no fruit. And in that verse... Uh, in verse 14 that we just read, the words of Jesus bring clarity also to what he was getting at with this parable. He says that they, the, the, the sower soweth. Again, meaning scatters. He scatters the seeds. He's throwing the seeds everywhere. Well, what did the sower sow? What did he scatter? He, he was scattering the seed. Now this word, look at verse 14. What is the seed? The sower soweth the word. What is the word? That's an important question to ask when, when we're trying to understand this parable. It helps shed light on whether or not Jesus was taught, whether Jesus was talking about you know, the, 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 God, the word of God penetrating the heart of a Christian or the, the gospel penetrating the heart of the lost. The, the word here, it, keep, it comes from a Greek word that means logos. And in this case, this is what that, the phrase, the word means. It means the doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ, of salvation in the kingdom of God. So what does this mean? It means the gospel. The gospel. This word that the, the farmer was throwing is the gospel. And in fact, it's actually the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, when Paul speaks of somebody receiving the gospel. Let's go there. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And look at verse 5. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. It says, For our gospel came out unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And look what it says in verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word. Receiving the gospel. Received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. The seed is the gospel. And this is actually also the same word that Paul used when he told Timothy, Preach the word. Preach the gospel. Matthew's account of this parable also brings clarity to this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 
Look at Matthew 13, start with verse 18. It says in verse 18, again, this is the, the same parable, but just a different perspective. In verse 18, it says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone, look what it says, heareth the word of the kingdom. The kingdom. So he was speaking of the kingdom of God. And that, that this word of the kingdom means the instruction concerning the salvation obtained through Christ. Again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the seed. The seed is the gospel. This verse here is actually cross-referenced with Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, where John the Baptist, let me read it. You don't have to go there if you don't want to, but uh, when John the Baptist, this is what he said. It says, saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John the Baptist, he was casting the seed. He was a sower of the seed. He was sowing the gospel. So the seed is the gospel. The, the, the seed is the fact that man is sinful. Man is evil. Man is wicked. And God, he is perfect. He is pure. He is holy. And by the way, don't think that God's holiness only means that he's perfect and sinless. It certainly does mean that. But it also means that he is set apart from everything else. He's above everything else. He, he's in his own category. He's in a league of his own. There's nobody that even comes close to matching God and who he is. That's what this is saying. That's what his holiness is. He is set apart. And because he's set apart, because he's so holy, because he's so pure, because he's so perfect, because he's in a league of his own, no man can get to him on their own. Because we're so vile and so sinful and so wicked and our heart is deceitful above all things. That is the gospel. But also, the gospel includes the fact that Jesus Christ came to bridge that gap. He came to bring us to God. Can, can we just stop for a moment and just realize what I just said? Jesus Christ came to earth to bring us to God. He came on this earth as, as flesh, as a man, but still God. Perfect, again, holy, set apart. And he died. To pay the penalty for our sins. He died. And took the wrath of God. Upon himself. He was buried. For three days. But thank God he rose again. So that we could be saved. We just need to trust on him. We need to. Turn to Christ. We need to. See the truth of the gospel. I want to ask you this morning, have you done that? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Do you know that you have eternal life? The seed is the gospel. And as the gospel is broadcasted, according to this parable, what happens with the gospel, it all depends on the soil that it lands on. Let's go back to Mark chapter 4. And we're going to read the, the parable itself and then the explanation. We're just going to kind of go back and forth. 
between the parable and then the explanation. Mark chapter 4, look at verse 4. Jesus said, And it came to pass, as he sowed, the farmer he was sowing, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And look at verse 15 for the explanation. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. You know, when I was reading this and I was studying this, I thought about the spiritual warfare that happens as Christ is preached. You realize that when what we're doing right now When the gospel is going out, there is warfare. There's a battle, a very intense spiritual battle. And I think if we could just kind of pull back the veil and see uh, what is happening right now with the souls of lost men and women, as they hear the gospel, I think we'd be frightened. I think we'd be afraid. But the fowls of the air here, mentioned in verse 4 and in verse 15, it is, of course, nothing less than the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan himself. We, we understand from this that he's, he looks to stop everybody from experiencing the life-changing gospel. He looks to steal the seed. He looks to intercept and to stop people from understanding the gospel, from really getting it. He, 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 he really wants to distract people. And I got thinking about this as I was preparing for this. Satan, he will use everything he possibly can to distract people from understanding the gospel, from hearing the gospel. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our help. So when the word of God is preached, like I said last week, we ought to be giving our full attention because it is the most important part of the service. But Satan, at the same time, while this is happening, he may try to cast... Uh, things in certain people's minds about uh, maybe what, what's coming up uh, after the service. What am I doing after the service? He, he's trying to distract people from the gospel. Well, the people of God should not help him with that. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 says of Satan that he is the God of this world and he hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. So just like a bird would, would swoop down and try to and steal that seed Satan, he wants to remove the seed of the word of God, the the seed of the gospel from the soil of a person's heart because he is actively in opposition to the gospel. Actively. He he is nonstop always trying to oppose people from getting and understanding and seeing the truth of the gospel. So lost souls that are here this morning, I, I implore you to see the wonderful truth of the gospel and stop dwelling in darkness. Those here this morning that are lost, understand that you have a war taking place on the turf of your hearts, but Jesus Christ is calling you to be saved, to turn to Him, to trust in Him. Now I want you to know it's very important as we, we understand this analogy with, that Jesus is using with Satan, I want you to know that salvation is so much more than just having a theological knowledge. Salvation is so much more than just knowing about God. So much more. You know, there will be many 
brilliant theologians that knew about God in hell. There will be. You think of Satan himself. He's a better theologian than most of us are. And yet he's doomed for hell. Salvation is not just knowing about God. It is knowing God. Do you know God? If not, then allow Christ to break your hard heart and run to Him today. Do not be blinded by Satan any longer. Trust in Him and have eternal life. So the seed is the gospel. The fowl of the air is Satan as he often causes the hearts of men to stay hardened and blinded towards the gospel and therefore causes them to reject it. And now let's look at the shallow ground and look at verse 5 of Mark chapter 4. We see the shallow and uh, stony ground. Verse 5. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Look at verse 16. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So, this seed, it fell on stony ground. There was not much uh, earth. It did not uh, have really anywhere for the root to go. Again, I kind of mentioned last week how if you have a garden, you don't want to have a garden that's full of rocks and full of stones, or else it's not going to be a very successful garden. So, this seed, it, it went on stony ground, it did spring up. It sprung up very quickly, this tells us. But then it says it soon withered away because it got scorched by the sun because it had no root. It tells us here, Jesus says that these people, they received the gospel. Immediately, they received it with gladness. Now this gladness, it speaks to an emotional hearer that appears to have accepted the truth of the gospel. They appear to enthusiastically uh, trust in Christ. They enthusiastically appear to have trusted in the gospel. But then, when hard times come, when the issues arise, when the excitement goes away, when it's not new and fun and wonderful anymore, when it's not a bed of roses, then suddenly, they're driven away. I know how many times I have seen this tragically happen. Many times. Where people... They, they, they really seem to understand the gospel. They really, it seems like they've been converted. It seems like they've trusted in Christ. They, I've even had people before that have professed to know Christ. They, they, they go to church for a while. They even go get involved in a one-on-one discipleship class. You know, we, we disciple them. And I've done this before, especially when I was in Hallam many times with young people. And they, you know, they, they, they're just gung-ho for God. And then... After a while, something comes up and something happens and then you never see them again proving that their faith was not genuine. And the way that Mark puts it here is that these people endure for a time and tells us that they, they don't endure forever because of affliction. Meaning, 
oppression or tribulation or distress. It's just there's a, a bad trial or just they're just distressed, so they so they fall away, or or persecution, which simply is the disapproval of others due to their faith. Maybe their friends thought it was ridiculous that they would uh, come to know Christ, or they would. Uh, say that he is their Lord, or maybe their family did not approve, so then they fell away. So due to this affliction, due to this persecution, these people, it says they became offended. What does that mean? It means that they stumbled. It means that they no longer trusted in the one whom they ought to trust, and instead they deserted him. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. It gives us a little more insight about this. Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 13. Luke chapter 8 really gives us help in understanding that this soil, this heart, did not actually come to the saving faith. They did not actually trust in Christ and trust the gospel. Look at verse 13. It says, They on the rock are they which when they hear... Receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which, look what it says, for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. So, so these people, they believe in the gospel for a while, which means they believe in the gospel for a season. But here's the thing. People that have trusted in Christ for salvation, people that believe and call upon the name of the Lord, they don't just believe for a while. They don't just believe for a week or a month or a year. No, their faith will endure. The litmus test for true receptivity of the gospel is really what happens when hard times come. What happens when persecution comes? What happens when your family doesn't accept your faith? That right there will show us whether or not our, our Conversion is genuine. Hard times will either confirm our belief in the gospel or it will drive us away. And the, the, the people that Jesus was speaking about uh, with the stony ground for a heart that appeared to be saved, but then, well, you know, they kind of fell away. They are exactly the same type of people that John mentioned in the epistle of John. Chapter 2, let's go there. These people are the exact same types of people that John mentions and who actually he calls Antichrist. These were people that appeared to be saved. They appeared to acknowledge the deity of Christ. But after a while they got exposed. The truth came out. And these are really the same types of people that we see in this parable. As these people that received the gospel and had stony, had, were on stony ground. They did not really receive it. Look at verse 19. It says in 1 John 2, 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. Let me stop right there. They departed from your church. They left. They left the faith. You don't see them anymore. They, they, they went away because they were not of us. They weren't Christians. Look what else it says. For if they had been of us, they would, no doubt, have continued with us. Let me stop there. A Christian, if they are a Christian, if they are saved, they will 
continue on. They will abide in Christ. Look what else it says. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. So we, we see here, again, people were coming in this church. They were pretending to be Christians. They were pretending to believe everything that they believed. But then they, didn't, they did not acknowledge the fact that Christ was God and that he was a man, but he was God at the same time. They, they, it was really Gnosticism had taken over uh, their belief system. So they couldn't take it anymore, and eventually they left because they did not really believe in Christ. And the fact of the matter is, true saving faith is marked by a continued desire to live in obedience to God. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 8 to the Jews that believed on him? This is what he said. Listen to this. He said, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So if you continue in my word, then you are my disciple. So these people, the stony ground, they're the hearts of those that appeared to receive Christ, but they fall away when hard times come, proving that their faith was actually superficial. Now, Jesus explains the thorny ground. Let's go back to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And we'll start with verse 7. Mark chapter 4 verse 7. It says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and choked it, and yielded no fruit. So there's the parable. What's the explanation? Look at verse 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, they hear the gospel, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Those with a heart of thorns, they hear the gospel, they hear the, the call of, of Christ as he says, Forsake all and follow me. Make me Lord of your life. They hear that, that call. And it, it, nothing becomes of it. There's no fruit. There's, no, there's not even any consideration of it because the thorns choke the seed. What are the thorns? The thorns, according to our text here, are the cares of this world. The, the cares, it, that simply means the distractions of the age. It actually carries the idea of being drawn in different directions. So just let's just imagine, for example, you were at like a get-together, you know, a backyard barbecue or something, then you had several people come up to you all at the same time. And they say, let's just use Mike, for example. They say, hey, Mike, let's go sit by the fire. And somebody else comes up to you and says, hey, Mike, let's go grab some dessert and talk. And then somebody else comes up to you and says, hey, Mike, let's go play a game. You're being drawn in all these different directions. Well, what, what, what are the different directions that it's talking about here? It's talking about... The, the pleasures and the riches and the cares of this world. And uh, Luke actually says that these thorns are the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. You know what this is? This is simply a preoccupation with earthbound treasures. And those that have this type of heart, they're so preoccupied with the desire to be rich. They're so preoccupied with the physical and the material possessions of this world that they're blinded to any consideration of the gospel call. And this is uh, why uh, they just simply cannot fathom the idea of following Christ. Because what did Jesus say in Matthew 6? He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, 
and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. These people that have a thorny hearts are really much like that rich man. You remember the rich young ruler? Let's go there and look at that, Matthew 19. They're much like the rich young ruler that supposedly wanted to follow Jesus, but would go away sad and go away not to follow Jesus after all because he had many riches. Look at Matthew 19, verse 16. It says in verse 16, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus saith, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that which thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away, away very sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus tells this rich man, hey, if you really want to follow me, then sell all, forsake all, and come follow me. Now he, now, he did not say this as a means of salvation. He did not tell him, you go and sell everything, you come follow me, and then you will be saved as a works-based salvation. He did this to simply expose the unbelief of his heart. He didn't really want to follow Jesus. He liked the idea of Jesus. There's a lot of people that like the idea of Jesus, but they just don't really want to do what he says. And that's what this rich man was like. The call to sell all and follow him was simply just to prove that this man was not genuinely interested in following Christ. And the fact that he rejected this command and he went away sorrowful because of all of the earthly treasures that he had, it was proved that he was not serious about following, following God. His heart was too full of thorns. His heart was, being, was, was too uh, distracted by everything else. Uh, his heart was being pulled in every direction, just not in the direction of God. His heart was full of thorns. He was distracted by his riches and his worldly possessions. And he rejected that command, again, proving that he was not serious about following God. Now, listen close. There are implications here for the Christian. You may be a Christian. You may have uh, trusted in Christ and thank God for that, but there is an implication here. There are many Christians that it bought into the Western culture idea of what the good life is. The, the Western culture is specifically in our society. The ideal is the more that I have, the happier I'll be. The more stuff that I possess, the better my life will be. The more that I 
chase after earthly treasures and the more I work and the more I gain, the more joy I will have. People actually believe this. But I want you to understand very clearly this morning that that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Only Jesus Christ and fulfilling His purpose for your life will give you joy and fulfillment that you are searching for. I I don't need all the newest stuff. Let's let's just be honest for a minute, okay? Listen, if you're a Christian, you don't need everything you see. Even if you can afford it, you're a Christian. You have Christ. I don't need the newest toys. I don't need the nicest house. I don't need the newest cars and the, the best food. My kids don't need everything I never got when I was a kid. It's so much more important that I instead live my life focused on Christ. Listen, if my family has a roof over their head and the simplest food on the table and clothes from Goodwill on their back, but they have a mom and dad that love God and teach them how to love God, and teach them the things of God, and teach them the scriptures, they will be far better off than any child that gets everything that they want and more, and yet are clueless about the things of God because their parents don't care. Earthly riches are not everything. And in fact, they they are oftentimes more damaging. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. And this is why... Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because when you're rich, you don't have to trust in God. I don't don't need to worry. I I don't have to worry about where my next meal is going to come from. I don't have to worry if I want something, I just go get it. I don't need to trust in God. We need to be careful about that. We need God. Let me just stop for a minute and say this. God worked on my heart this week in a, in a special way that I, I, we all, we, I talk about this a lot, but the fact that everything that we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. The smallest amount of food that you have comes from God. You eat a snack, that came from God. Your meal that you're going to have after church, that came from God. God's given that to you. We shouldn't just take it for granted. We should say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this provision that you've given me. We need God. You understand that God could take everything away from us in the moment if he so chooses to. But this thorny ground here, it is the heart. that here's the gospel preached. But due to the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world, the gospel seed, it is compressed, it is choked out, it has no effect on the hearer. And we learn from this parable that the world, the flesh, and the devil wreak havoc as the gospel goes forth. However, the gospel, it does, at times, land on good ground. And when it lands on good ground, it brings forth much fruit. Let's look at Mark chapter 4 again. Look at verse 8 to see the parable. And then we'll look at verse 20 to see the explanation. It says in verse 8, Mark chapter 4. Another fell on good ground 
and did yield fruit that sprang up <clears throat> and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some an hundred. And look at verse twenty. And these are they which sown or are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. This right here, church, it pictures a true believer in Christ. It pictures the heart that hears the gospel, receives the gospel, trusts in the gospel, they obey Christ, and they, it, it really it marks bearing fruit. And this bearing fruit is a continual action. It's not just saying, well, they bore fruit for a, a couple days. No, they kept on bearing fruit. That's what this is saying. Unlike the believers, or rather unlike the unbelievers that were mentioned in these other three soils, this pictures the heart of one that truly accepts the gospel. They understand the gospel. They obey God because the gospel has transformed their life. If you have trusted on Christ, then he has transformed your life. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Look at verse 43. We know in part that this is talking about Christians, because the Bible clearly teaches us that saved people, people that are following Christ, they do bring forth good fruit. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 43. This is really in context uh, to false prophets, but the principle is clear. Verse 43, for a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And look at verse 46 says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? A true Christian a true follower of Christ, they will bring forth good fruit. Their life will be changed. This is evidence of, of genuine faith. The, the other three soils, they produced no fruit, therefore they were not born again. And as we see, though, from Mark chapter 4, verse 20, you notice it says that some, some uh, produce 30-fold and, and 60-fold and 100-fold. What does that teach us? That teaches us very clearly that not all believers produce the same amount of fruit, but all believers produce fruit. If Jesus has touched us, it will show in our lives. And you may say, well, what does the, the fruit of a true believer look like? Well, let's go to Galatians 5. Well-known passage, but this will help us. Galatians 5. When we come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit of God indwells in us, and He began, begins to liken us to the image of His Son. He changes us for His glory. And look what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So what does that look like? Well, let's just slow down for a moment. If you 
have come to know Christ as your Savior, you now have a love for others that you never had before. You love the brethren. You'd do anything for them. You love God now. When before, you didn't care what God thought. You didn't care about God. Now you love God. When you come to saving faith, you now have a joy because I know that I have eternal life. I know that I'm on my way to heaven. I'm going to meet God. I have joy. You also have a peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. You're not all worried about everything else that's going on in the world. You may still have times where you fall into that. But then you're like, oh yeah, I have God. God's on the throne. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. It doesn't matter what's happening in my life. It doesn't matter the storms that are all around me. I still have God and nothing can change that. If you come to know Christ, you're gentle. You, you, you have goodness of God. You, you have faith. Your faith is increasing. You're meek. You have temperance. You have self-control. Again, all these are not going to be perfected until we get to heaven, but God is changing you. God has changed you. If you come to know Christ, things begin to change. The Spirit of God that brings forth fruit, it causes us to no longer desire to live in rebellion against God, but instead it causes us to have a desire to please Him just as a little child desires to please their father. I like what one, per- one pastor said. He said, it is absolutely absurd to say that you are a disciple of Christ and yet not bear the fruit of Christ. Do you bear fruit? Have you truly come to the saving knowledge of Christ? Have you been born again? If not, it's time to allow your heart to become this good ground that bears forth fruit. It's time to give up all and surrender to Jesus Christ. Trust Him and have eternal life. Now again, believer, this message is for you as well. You know, we, as this talks about this farmer, the sower, sowing the gospel seed, we are to be that sower. We are to be that farmer broadcasting the seed of the gospel. We are. Do you cast out the truth of the gospel liberally to the lost? You may say, well, this person, they're they're not going to trust Christ. Well, it's not our job to save people. It's our job to cast the seed and then God does the rest. Consider this morning, who are you actively trying to reach with the gospel of Christ? Who is it that you're daily praying for that they might have a heart softened to the gospel of Christ? Just imagine the impact. I don't know how many people are in here, but just imagine the impact that the gospel could have in our community if every single believer in this room were faithfully and intentionally sowing the gospel seed day after day, week after week, just liberally casting it out to those that they interact with. You know, we do very well, and I'm guilty of this as well many, many times, so I don't want you to think that you're alone in this. But we do very well to have conversations with even lost people about everything. Sports, the weather, fishing, you name it. 
television shows, movies that we enjoy. We, we, we're really good at talking about everything else, but then when it comes to talking about the gospel, all of a sudden fear and anxiety grip our hearts. May God help us be bold with the gospel. The lost must be told, and you and I must tell them. The Bible says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? You say, well, you're the preacher. Yeah, I'm the preacher of this church, but you are to be a preacher of the gospel in your community, in your place of work, in your family. It's not just me. But this also applies to Christians as it's so easy to be led astray. As I mentioned, we can so often be turned away from the things of God and then sucked into the cares of this world. Uh, again, that Western culture mindset that tells us, oh, possessions and physical uh, riches are everything. Christian, listen, have you gotten your eyes off Christ? And have you instead gotten it fixated on the pleasures and the riches of this world? As we live the Christian life, we need to be progressively becoming more and more like Christ. We need to be bearing fruit as time goes on. And you know, I, I know that a lot of times as Christians, it can be easy to get stuck in a rut. Ever been stuck in a rut? You just, it feels like you're spiritually dry and nothing is happening and, and, and you're crying out to God and, and he seems like he's not listening. He's not answering you. I pray that nobody here is going backwards in their Christian life. We need to seek to live a holy life for the glory of God. We cannot be careless in this. We need to be continually bearing fruit and asking God to help us and yielding to the Holy Spirit of God because we cannot do it on our own. You go ahead and try to do good things on your own. You're going to fall flat on your face because you and I need God. I like what Jonathan Edwards said. He said that a true and faithful Christian does not make holy living an accidental thing. It is a great concern as the business of a soldier is to fight, so the business of the Christian is to be like Christ. But in order to do this, we have to yield to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that's been placed inside of us that allows us to be molded into the image of Christ. So may we, as Christians, be Christians that are continually bearing fruit for the glory and the honor of our great God, for He is worthy. And may those lost souls that are in our presence this morning, maybe, look, I, you, nobody, you, I would be deceived to think that there's not lost people that sit in this church week in, week out. If you're here this morning and you've not yet trusted in Christ, stop waiting. Turn to Christ before it's too late. He's calling you to be saved. He wants you to be saved. Come to know Christ today. Stop waiting. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Be reconciled to God. Have your sins forgiven. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.